You are listening to Let's Talk Trio on podcasts. Keep up with the latest episodes by downloading the Podbean app or stream episodes via our social media accounts. Search for Let's Talk Trio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This episode is sponsored by Student Access. Student Access, the leader in Trio software. Student Access is an online database solution that allows TRIO programs to track their students' information, connect with students by text messages, streamline the APR, and work from anywhere, all online, with automatic updates for changes from the Department of Education. Their technical support team includes former TRIO staff and has over 50 years of combined experience working with TRIO. Make it easier to focus on your priority, the students. For more information and to request a free demo, visit their website at www.studentaccess.com or call them toll-free at 1-800-801-1232. That website again is www.studentaccess.com or 1-800-801-1232. Be sure to share your favorite episodes on your social media by tapping that share button. This is a great way to support the podcast. Now here's your host, Juan Rivas. Thank you, Amelia, for that wonderful introduction. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Trio. I am your host, Juan Rivas. In this episode, we have from the University of Oklahoma, Scott Cady, talking about Project Threshold, a trio-associated program that, while not technically trio, it's still part of the TRIO family. So Scott is on the podcast to talk about his experiences growing up, being part of the TRIO community, and a lot of conversations surrounding higher education. It was such a joy to have Scott on the program. We connected a long, long time ago um, when I was a TRIO professional. Uh, I think even at uh, the community college level when I was at uh, Clovis Community College. Um, but Scott was one of those vibrant uh, personalities that you just automatically click with because he cares so much about students and cares very passionately about the job that he does, uh, his career and what student outreach means to him. So uh, he is a very good example of what a trio community can be uh, when you have folks like Scott uh, heading up the program. So coming up in just a bit, Scott Katie. I would like to take a second to remind everyone you can sponsor the podcast. Go over to Patreon, sponsor us for as little as $1 a month. For $1 a month, you can sponsor this Let's Talk Trio podcast. If you are a company and you are interested in sponsoring the podcast, we do have a corporate sponsorship level. Go to Patreon, scroll all the way down, and we have $100 a month where you can insert a 1 minute and 30 second ad on this podcast. Sponsorships are a great way to continue supporting everything that we do for this podcast, from covering our maintenance fees to being able to do a little bit of travel when the coronavirus restrictions finally lift and uh, to uh, get the software that we need to continue editing our podcast. A huge thank you to Student Access and Angelica Villalpando for continuing to support the podcast. We appreciate you both so much. So we are about to jump into the interview with Scott Katie, a great friend of mine and a trio advocate, uh, an advocate for students and first generation students. I hope that you enjoy this interview. Uh, so please sit back, relax and enjoy this episode. 
five, four, three, two, one. Hi, Trio Nation. My next guest on the Let's Talk Trio podcast is an advisor for Project Threshold at the University of Oklahoma, attained a master's degree in community counseling and a bachelor's in elementary education for both Oklahoma State University, began working in Trio at OSU Educational Talent Search for eight years, then student support services for two years before going to OU. He enjoys hiking and spending time outdoors, is passionate about social justice issues and creating supporting educational access for all. And his pronouns are he, him, his. Please welcome a friend of mine and TRIO colleague, Scott Katie, to the Let's Talk TRIO podcast. Scott, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's good to see you again, Juan. Looking good. Yeah, you're looking good as well. As we were talking earlier pre-show, you have this beard that you've grown out, almost very uh, James Harden-esque, may I say. (laughs) Well, thank you. Yes, I think during quarantine, some people learned how to bake, some people gardened. I learned how to grow a beard. So I don't know what that means, but... There you go. <laughs> it looks it looks awesome. It looks so well maintained as well. When I grow mine out, I, I've been compared to a wild mountain man, and I'm I'm just not liking that vibe. So I usually cut it. But your look so it's trimmed. It's 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 really it's really neat. So it's, it's really cool seeing that on you. I appreciate that. Thank you. So how's life in Oklahoma? Can you tell us about the city that you reside in? Sure. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely challenging times that we're going through right now with the pandemic and everything. Um, so I work at the University of Oklahoma here in Norman. Um, and so our fall semester, let's see, we're in week three, I believe. It's already moving quickly. It's hard to keep track. Um, but overall, you know, we're all trying our best to kind of adjust to, you know, what's going to keep everybody as safe as possible while we can still you know be as effective as we can um making sure that these that these students can continue to get their education and all that so yeah it's been kind of strange but we're we're kind of learning as we're going um so yeah i think i think that's the that that would be the main tagline we're we're doing our best we're learning as we go so <laughs> i like it right that, that's kind of like the the mantra for a lot of cities and a lot of towns that are experiencing this online learning and having to adjust to covid it's like we're doing our best right. uh, tell us a little bit about norman oklahoma what what type of uh, atmosphere environment are we finding ourselves in there is it is it very much a college town um yes yes it definitely is um everyone well, I say everyone, a, a huge majority of people here, I would say, are just um, ravenous for both OU football and Oklahoma City Thunder basketball. Um, so those those are two big things. Um, the OU football in particular, you know, definitely just, just an example of a college sports town for sure. Um, but we're only a few minutes south of Oklahoma City. Um, we're not too terribly far from Tulsa, not too terribly far from Dallas. So... Um, while we are kind of that college town, we're pretty close to a lot of other things, a lot of, you know, entertainment venues, a lot of um, really cool things such as that. So, Right on, right on. How has uh, the University of Oklahoma responded to the COVID-19 pandemic? Uh, what, what adjustments have you made all, have you all made over there? Well, it's, it's definitely kind of been an ongoing thing. Um, I feel like, you know, this is such a complex issue. There's not necessarily like one solution that fits every single situation. So um, the university has tried really hard to kind of make that balance. Um, so one of the biggest adjustments is for, for most of our larger classes, we've definitely shifted like the large classes are 100% online, whether it's 
you know, asynchronous online or whether that's um, asking students, say, um, attending Zoom college or whatever, um, att attending those lectures through Zoom or whatever. Some of our smaller classes, though, they've remained face-to-face. -face. Um, so again, the university is trying to make that balance, trying to figure out what works best while keeping people as safe as possible. Um, of course, we do have, you know, campus-wide mask mandates. Um, we've, we've got um, our health center here on campus offers um, COVID testing for free to students, staff, and faculty. Um, so trying to do a lot of things to keep people safe um, while continuing to function as a university. Wow. And, and what about for you, Scott? How have you adapted to this pandemic uh, and how's that, how has it impacted you? Yeah, it's, um, again, it's pretty much a learning process. Um, like for us to kind of backtrack a little bit. So, um, and, and first and foremost, let me just say that I'm really, really fortunate to have a job where I was able to work from home. Um, and so I feel extremely blessed to be able to say that. Um, our first week working from home was spring break for us here. So back kind of early to mid-March. Yeah. Um, and then we worked from home basically up through the first part of August. And in August, we kind of slowly started transitioning back to on campus a little bit. Um, I'm not going to lie, those first couple of weeks trying to transition were rough. Um, but then kind of had some ups and downs. Then I kind of found my groove. I found, you know, the best ways to relate to my students to make sure, you know, as effectively as possible, I'm still able to make those contacts um, and kind of found, found that groove. And then before you know it, we're, you know, we're in mid-May, early June and just kind of lost that momentum once again. Like, oh my gosh, it's almost like yeah. I have to find that, you know, what is what is that motivation that's going to keep me doing this because this is getting crazy yes um, but yes i think that's pretty similar to what a lot of people have experienced um and slowly but surely you know there's some good days there's some bad days um there's a lot in between but in the end we know that we're fighting the good fight we know you know that we're doing things for the betterment of our country of our world um so in the end we're always able to find ways to make things work so Absolutely. I feel like online learning has put in uh, a lot of stress to uh, families and individuals overall, right? Uh, where we're relying on a lot, a lot of technology to help keep us connected. Uh, and I know this is a little veering off a little bit, but still relevant to the question is, how are you adapting to uh, having going from face to face with students to now just online, having a computer mediate that? How, how, how's that right. landing for you? Um, it's, it's definitely still a work in progress. I think um, for, for a large percentage of, of like the one-on-one -on -one meetings that I would have with students, it's, it's just fine. Um, we can still kind of cover the material that we would have face-to-face. -face. Um, we're finding ways to kind of get around, you know, the, like, for example, let me just use, use the example of like, let's say there's a student coming in, um, an incoming freshman, and wants help kind of, okay, help me map out if I choose this degree, what are my classes gonna look like for the next few semesters? And so if they're in my office, that's pretty easy. Um, I'm old school, I take out, you know, a notebook and we just, you know, start mapping it out, start going through their degree sheets. Um, obviously can't do that exactly like that now, but, you know, figuring out ways where we can still kind of walk through, you know, the degree sheets um, digitally um, and kind of, use some of Zoom's features to kind of, you know, still still accomplish some of the same things. 
Um, so yeah, it's been a learning experience um, and overall learning some things that are very valuable. I think it'll help me moving forward. Um, but the ones that concern me the most, you know, are those, are those students, you know, just, just like all of us, sometimes, some, sometimes we have great days, some days are not so good. And so the ones that worry me are the, are the days when the students were just, you know, they're having a horrible day and they just stop by my office, just, just seeing if the door's open, seeing if they can just come in for a little bit, kind of, you know, unburden themselves a minute um, before they go back out. And so um, those, those are the students that I'm still trying to figure out, you know, how can I identify those students? How can I reach out and make sure that I'm still supporting them when they need it the most? So that's, that's definitely the part that's still kind of a work in progress. Um, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I think uh, even as you're sorting it out, students are, are extremely grateful. I know that the university is extremely grateful to you for still being available and being that landing pad for students because it can be a very confusing and very frustrating way to navigate, right? When you're kind of being told on your own, figure this out. But when you have somebody there to kind of provide a path, even if if it's not all sorted out, it's still okay, I feel a little bit better talking to somebody about this because I'm feeling frustrated and, and it still feels right. like a, a jungle out there, right? Right, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So with, with the quarantine, with the lockdown, and I know that students have picked up various skills. I'm wondering, did you pick up any skills? Did you, did you learn anything uh, during, anything new during this quarantine slash lockdown? Um, let's see. Basically, I don't, I don't know if growing a beard counts as a skill. <laughs> um, that's just one of the things that just kind of happens. Um, to be honest, it allowed me more time to, um, you know, just, just be able to relax and like read a book. Um, I've been able to catch up on a lot of reading, which is awesome. Um, yeah. Haven't been able to do that as much in the, in the previous few years that I would have liked. So that's been great. Um, one of the safe activities has been kind of finding a place to go hiking or whatever, because you can definitely socially distance when you're, when you're out in nature. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say pick up any new skills or hobbies, but I would say be able to, I've, I've been able to kind of fall back on some of the, some of the old hobbies I used to have that I love. I yeah. just hadn't had time to do for a while. So that's awesome. I think hiking is a great activity. I, I recently started doing a lot more of that over, uh, over March. Uh, but books, cool. uh, books is something another that uh, I started also doing. I think uh, during my graduate years, I kind of fell off of reading because you had to do a lot of required reading, right? Absolutely. And, and then now I've started finding myself just getting back into the groove of just reading for leisure. What are some books that are you currently reading and that you would recommend? Very good question. Um, so one of the nonfiction books that I just recently wrapped up that was amazing um, is, is called How to Be an Anti-Racist by Dr. Kendi. Oh, um, yeah. Strongly recommend, he's got some other really great books as well. I um, strongly recommend that one. Um, typically, I, I've usually got at least like one nonfiction book and a fiction book going at the same time. I, I just, I just kind of like both worlds. And so the other reading that I would definitely suggest, um, I recently finished up the trilogy. Um, the first book is called The Three-Body Problem. It's a sci-fi, um, book. Um, it's a really great Chinese sci-fi author. Um, it's, it's been recently translated into English. Awesome trilogy. If you're into sci-fi, um, this one, this one's a great read for sure. So yeah, those would probably be the two top things that I would say, you know, just kind of off the top of my head. 
That's amazing. And I'm glad that you're, that you're giving those recommendations because I think our audience likes to hear new books and, and things that others are, are reading or things that they're doing because maybe our audience wants to try some of that. So I appreciate you sharing that, Scott. Definitely. Yes. Yes. So my next question to you is with everything that's happening around the United States with protests, environmental issues, severe weather, it can be super overwhelming. And I know that our, our audience and, and people outside of our audience either are feeling overwhelmed or are they feeling like there's just so much information and so much input that they're taking. How are you choosing to engage or disengage with these topics? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a really important question for sure. Um, and you're right, like there are so many heavy things going on in, in the world today, um, very heavy things. And I think you know, as, as a professional, you know, when our job is to kind of help empower others, um, help support others, um, help others learn how to advocate for themselves, you know, things like that, it's really important for us to be able to keep our energy levels up and um, be able to practice self-care in a way that, um, you know, helps us keep that focus, helps us keep that drive and that passion. Um, but even, you know, let me pause there for just a second because yeah. just being able to disengage at times really speaks to the privilege I have. Um, there's so many people who don't have the privilege to disengage. Um, these fights are real. These fights are important. Um, and so, yes, sometimes, you know, social media, for example, that's a, a great way. Um, so many positive things about it, but it's also you know, it constantly has these, these heavy things in our face. And so there are times personally where I do have to unplug from social media for a day or two just to kind of, um, you know, just get away from that, reset my mind, kind of regrow, um, you know, that energy reserve that used to be there. But yeah, it, it kind of drains slowly over time. And so um, definitely having to choose a few times every once in a while to kind of disengage a little bit. Um, and then that helps me kind of come back with a, you know, just honestly kind of come back with a vengeance because you, you have time to reflect, you have time to energize. Um, and again, since I know not everybody has the privilege to disengage, when I get back in the fight, I know I need to fight twice as hard for those, you know, that may not have the voice that I have, may not have the privileges that I have. And so I think, I think it's been learning you know, how to balance that, how to balance, you know, the self-care for myself, but also um, how do I leverage my privileges um, in support, you know, of empowering others in support of, um, you know, whether it's, you know, Black Lives Matter, whether, you know, it's, it's against police brutality, whether it's, you know, all of these really important things that, you know, we, we've got some, some amazing folks nationwide taking up these fights and, so just kind of figuring out, okay, how can I help with that, you know, here locally? Um, how can I support our students who are going through this? Um, so that's been the balance that I've, you know, really tried to reflect on and really have been trying to, you know, figure out how, how to be as effective um, with the way that I approach, you know, my support, my actions, all of that. Um, so... I like how you brought up the the fact that right we're in a, we're we're all in a position of privilege you know if you work at a university to be able to engage or disengage at your choosing but also still actively be part of a, a larger movement I, I'm wondering how you're how are you recharging you you talked a little bit about self care I'm wondering how that looks like for you as you recharge very cool yes um, 
so honestly, one of the things that works the best for me is, is hiking, honestly. Um, and it just kind of depends on the situation. There are times where I'll call up a couple friends and we'll, you know, go hiking on a weekend or whatever. But then there's also times where it's just like, okay, I need some time alone. Like I need to be out in nature. I need to have the fresh air. Let me just, you know, let me just exist for a minute um, and kind of, you know, recharge in that way. And then I can, um, you know, jump back into the real world, so to speak. Um, so that's one of the most effective ways for me, um, which again, reflects on my privilege. Um, I can check out a little bit. and I do have that privilege to step back and ignore things for just a second. Um, I'm always going to come back, but ignore it for right. just long enough to kind of recharge. Um, so yeah, so that's been one of the most effective things for me. Amazing. Yeah. That, I feel like when people are, are aware of how to recharge or, or when they need to, we need to take a break, right? Even if it's just for a second, how they, how they able to recharge? I think it's amazing to see how conscious they are about that and how they can refill and uh, re-engage right. uh, and get back into it. So Scott, so we're going to get right into the meat of the podcast about, about you and uh, how everything kind of panned out for your career and everything else. Uh, can you share with us about not only your trio story, but let's start at the beginning. Tell us about your childhood and your upper, up, upbringing, upbringing. How did okay. that play an influence and how did it guide you? Yes. Um, so definitely very humble beginnings. Um, I, was, I was actually born and raised in this little bitty town in Northwest Oklahoma called Laverne. Um, very small town. I've heard people describe it as being like located in the in the armpit of Oklahoma. Um, <laughs> the armpit of Oklahoma? I'm not sure if that's exactly how I would say it. I would say we're about as close to the panhandle as we can get without being in the panhandle. But gotcha. that's where we're at, um, miles away from so many other things. But at the same time, you know, there's a lot of good things that come with that. Um, um, had a had a great family, had a great childhood, lots of lots of friends spent you know a lot of times playing sports um spending time outside um yeah it was it was definitely a good place for me to kind of um get started in life and kind of really grow that kind of the the foundation of of kind of what took root later on so yeah was school something that you gravitated to or, or were there other academic pursuits that also caught your attention yeah so um basically within within my family college was understood like that is something i was going to do um so from a very early age i knew that i was going to go to college um i honestly had no clue what kind of career path that was going to look like um lots like that that was a whole other story in and of itself just trying to figure out you know what's what's a good career fit um but yeah, as far as the college itself, I knew, you know, that's what I want to do. Therefore, I knew I had to get good grades. I knew I had to study. And um, I actually turned into a self-proclaimed nerd. Like, I actually <laughs> loved learning. I loved math. I loved science. Um, I got pretty competitive when it came to my grades, education. You know, being in a small school, um, like, you literally know every single person in the entire school. And so, you know, trying to be competitive from that GPA standpoint and, and stuff like that, um, it was a lot of fun. Definitely enjoyed it. 
Right on. So it sounds like you were involved with sports and that, uh, again, being a self-proclaimed nerd, you really got into yes. school. Uh, I'm wondering, what was high school like then for you? Can you talk to us about those four years for you? Very cool. Um, so, yeah, so basically in Laverne, um, as with a lot of small towns kind of in this part of the country, like the 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 kind of the, the lifeblood of the town is the high school sports. So for us, football, basketball, baseball, softball. Um, and, and so a large percentage of, of the students play, you know, at least some of those sports. Um, for me, football was my life. I loved it. Um, got to play from like seventh grade through my senior year, loved it. Um, and then, you know, played a little basketball for fun, never actually necessarily necessarily went out for the team same with baseball um, things like that um, I did really like golf um, I was never good at it but I I did play I was on the golf team um, so yeah so those were some of the things um, we had some amazing teachers as well great administrators um, for for a small town where we were really really fortunate um, and I think it's kind of funny you know being from a small town when you run into later in life, when you run into other people from small towns, inevitably there's, there's almost always at least two questions that come up. And the first one is how, how big was your graduating class? And so oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for me, it was, I want to say by the time we graduated, it was about 34. Um, students. Oh, 34. Wow. So, um, yeah. yeah. So that was the booming metropolis. And then the second question is usually, like, okay, well, how many stoplights did you have in your town? <laughs> so, um, our town had one, by the way. So, <laughs> so those were kind of, yeah, those were the humble upbringings. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a good fit for me at the time, of course. Mm -hmm. um, had some very positive experiences there, for sure. And did you have a lot of support leading up to high school graduation, uh, either personally or academically? Did you receive a lot of support? Yeah, um, to be honest, um, yeah, we had we had some teachers that definitely really cared about the students, were really passionate about our success. Um, so yeah, there were several people that, that kind of helped along the way. Um, we didn't, like there weren't any trio programs in Laverne back in the day, which I don't think there are even right now. Um, so we didn't have like any trio opportunities. Um, but yeah, we did have kind of that group of teachers and administrators um, that made sure that we had what we needed to succeed. Right on. Yeah. And as far as, because uh, you already answered my question, that was going to be in the next one and that's perfectly fine. But because <laughs> you didn't have a trio program and you already knew that college was a given for you, I'm wondering what sort of either resources or guidance did you receive to start kind of clearing up that path for you? Was it like a family conversation that you all, that you had hit there or was it more of a uh, instructor led type of conversation or was it a combination of both? Yeah, um, honestly kind of a combination of a lot of different things. Um, you know, like I said, my family always kind of supported the fact that I would go to college um, myself and my siblings. Um, you know, but at the same time we didn't necessarily know a whole lot of the things that we needed to know for college um, and had the support of some teachers. But, you know, a lot of times when you don't know, like you don't know what you don't know. And so you don't know to ask questions. And so, for example, you know, the mistakes, you know, that I made along the way that I know better now that I didn't know back then. But um, for example, 
you know, taking the ACT. And so back then, like a lot of scholarships were really based heavily on ACT scores. And I had no clue, but I was one point away from getting a lot of scholarships. And I didn't know. Like, oh, I, wow. I had no clue. And then later, you know, I'm having to pay all this money and I'm realizing, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> I could have retaken the ACT. Like I, I didn't know that was a thing. Um, and so, yeah, so, you know, a lot of hard work and a lot of people kind of supporting me and kind of helping push me in that direction. But at the same time, you know, sometimes it was just dumb luck at, at times where you're just like, okay, I don't even know what I'm getting into, but I'm going to do this thing. Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I think your experience, even with uh, that uncertainty, right? That even uh, first generation students also experiences that uncertainty of what comes next. Right. And the things that you don't know, right. You stay kind of like, well, I didn't know you could do that. And when it finally comes clear to you afterwards, it was like, Oh, okay. I guess I could have done that. But I think there's a, this, there's this right. similar experiences that you, that you've gone through, right. Uh, that uh, many first generation students also go through. Right, right. Yeah, uh, and it's, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say it was it was definitely a learning process, and I think that's one of the things that that helps me be as effective as possible now um, in my role as a professional is because you know I can look back on the mistakes that I made and, and be like, hey, don't do this, um, don't do what I did. <laughs> right. I think that's what uh, sets smarter. Yeah, th th that's what sets you up to be a, an, a, an effective advisor and uh, just overall excellent trio professional, Scott, is that you have the, uh, that ability to be empathetic and understanding of a student's situation and their plight and their, uh, if, whether it's first generation or, or low income students or a student with disability, they're able to look to you and say, I don't know what comes next. And you're like, you know what? I've experienced that too. And here's how we can demystify right. that process. So uh, right. that's what makes you super effective, I think. Well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's definitely an honor. Mentors are a huge part uh, in, in college and in high school. Did you have any uh, mentors that encouraged you or guided you toward your career path? Um, so it's kind of interesting. Like, um, you know, back when I was, you know, on my college journey, um, I didn't really have the terminology for this. So I didn't necessarily know what I was facing or whatever, but, you know, looking back, it was obvious that I was having imposter syndrome, like, you know, before day one even started, um, imposter syndrome kicked in hard and, um, partially due to that. And then partially due to my own, just, just stupid pride. Like, Hey, I can do this. I can figure this out. Um, quite often in my college journey, like my focus was, I don't want to draw attention to myself. Like I'm afraid if I get to know too many professors or too many you know, people here on campus, um, they're going to find out that I'm a faker, that I'm a fraud, that I am not supposed to be here. Um, and so kind of that fear kept me from building a lot of relationships, you know, with people who would have been amazing mentors um, and kind of, you know, again, at the time, I, I really didn't understand that I was doing that. That was kind of a subconscious thing that I was doing. Um, but looking back, it, it becomes pretty obvious that, you know, that was almost like a, like a protective mechanism that I employed to be like, okay, keep yourself safe here. Don't let too many people know too much about you because then they're going to realize that you may not belong here. You need to go back home. Mm. Um, however, with that being said, again, sometimes, you know, whether you want to call it fate, whatever you want to call it, um, some mentors emerged. And so like in my, in my graduate school days, for example, um, 
Dr. Rocky Robbins. Um, he, he was really influential in kind of letting me realize like, you know, your path is just as valid as anyone else's path. And you need to be proud of who you are and what you bring to the table. Um, Dr. Suzanne Burks was another one, um, just super amazing. Uh, um, just, just trying to figure out, you know, how can you, you know, come to terms with, you know, what are your strengths? What are the things you bring to the table? What, what can you do to make the situation better? Um, so those are a couple that definitely pop in my head. Um, they're really kind of filled in those, those mentorship roles. Um, but I do looking back, I kick myself for, for not, you know, investing more of myself into those situations. Oh yeah. Um, and I know that, uh, you identifying mentors, uh, I think that's a very important component of the college experience. And I know that that feeling of imposter syndrome, I wanted to take just a second to go back to that because, mm -hmm. uh, that is the feeling of a lot of first generation students that I've talked to is that you, you feel like you don't belong in that space or you feel like you're, you're faking it at the moment. And you're like, right. I'm, I'm in a room full of people that sound like they know what they're talking about, but I feel like I have nothing to contribute to this conversation. Right. Right. And, um, you know, I think, you know, that contributed a lot. Like I might, like if we're in a class discussion, for example, and I might, like a professor throws out a question and I'm thinking something in my head, but I'm like, no, there's no way that's right. There's no way that you know what the answer to this is. And then lo and behold, somebody else would say exactly what I was thinking. I'd be like, oh, wait a second. Maybe, maybe I do know what's going on. So like slowly but surely, you kind of figure out ways to overcome this. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a beast. It really is. Um, and I think that would be one of the biggest things that I would, that I tell students today. Um, and then I would tell any, any of the listeners um, to this podcast, um, do not be afraid to reach out. Um, tell people, tell people your story. You do belong here. You're there for a reason. You are enough. Um, even at times we don't believe that. Um, but that's where those mentors can come in. They can remind you that, yes, you in fact do belong here. You do have things to contribute. Um, Absolutely. So, Absolutely. You know. Scott, this has been a great conversation so far. Uh, so for our listeners, we're going to take a quick um, five minute break for the podcast and we'll return with more with Scott Katie from the University of Oklahoma Trio Student Support Services. Three, two, one. And we are back with Scott Cady, University of Oklahoma, Trio Student Support Services. Uh, Scott, you've been talking to us about your experiences with college. You talked a little bit about imposter syndrome and how that feels to students and how very much, even though you're not first generation, that you have a lot of similar experiences to first generation students. Yes, um, definitely a lot of things that I can relate to. Um, and I think the other thing to remember is, you know, just, just the fact that I've had the privilege of seeing that path through to the end. So my college education is in the past. I was able to get through all of those like challenges, all those obstacles. I was able to make it 
to where I am today. So I have the privilege of being able to look back at it from the other side, knowing that I did find success. And I think, um, you know, that's, that's a complex thing to talk about as well. That, you know, there's elements of privilege with that as well, kind of the support that I have. Um, but at the same time, it helps me um, kind of reframe some of those issues when we're talking with students and like when they're in their, their darkest moments, you know, it's hard to see out um, that it's almost like that heaviness, that fog just kind of surrounds you and it's hard to see past that obstacle. Um, and so I think, you know, the other thing that I, I try really hard to bring into the conversation is a realistic positivity. Um, so not being positive just to be positive, but just letting them know, hey, you know, we're going to work with you. We're here with you. You're not on your own. We're going to help you get through this moment. Um, and once you do, I can promise you um, things are going to look brighter. Your path is going to open up. It looks blocked right now. We're going to help you get through this. Um, there is basically a light at the end of that tunnel, um, so to speak. So. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really hard for students to see uh, when they're by themselves, right? And they're trying to look at exit points. Um, but I feel like advisors like within Trio, they're that battery, right? That helps them see kind of the light. And there's, even though it might look far away, that they're making progress. And I think that's what I'm so grateful for, for Trio professionals is that that's what they're kind of like specialties. You're able to provide that path and see it clearly for them, even though they might not see it for themselves at the moment. Right. Yeah, that's the perfect way to put it, to be perfectly honest. Well, thank yeah. you, Scott. I appreciate that. Um, so you started to work for TRIO programs. First, it was Talent Search, then TRIO Student Support Services. What is it about TRIO programs that make you wake up each day and go to work? Well, to, the answer is, is very simple, to be honest. Um, the answer is the students. Um, they energize me. They inspire me. They motivate me. Um, just the resiliency that they show. Um, and yeah, I'm not sure. Let me adjust my camera. I'm not sure if you can see. I'm here in my office. Um, yeah. I have lots of pictures of students all over my walls. Um, That's so cool. Pictures come from graduation events, um, times when we volunteered within the community, awards, um, shows, um, research, um, symposiums. Um, so those are the moments just that happen all the time that, you know, being able to be present in those moments and to realize how fortunate I am, you know, to have this opportunity to work with these students. Um, they're brilliant in so many ways. And I feel like um, when I say I have the greatest job in the world, it's 100% factual. I think that I work with the best students in the world. I have the best job in the world. Um, and it's 100% because of those students. That's amazing. And I'm glad that you're able to have those experience with those students. I know that for a lot of trio professionals, I know I've experienced it myself where you look back and you reflect on your career and you're like, wow, this is, uh, it, it's, it feels amazing to know that you've made a difference in a lot of students' lives. And even though, right, there are students that are going to graduate and go off to uh, graduate from college and get their degree, that there may be some students that, you know, decided to stop out, but still take those life lessons from you and still apply it to their daily life, which uh, I think that's also amazing uh, in its own right. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the focus. Like, if I can help in any even small, minute way, if I can, if I can help support, empower, guide, whatever, whatever the student may need, um, you know, they're going to go out into this world and do some brilliant things. And to be perfectly honest, most of them are already doing brilliant things in our community. Um, the leadership they provide, 
There's just something about first-generation college students that they have that ability to persevere and they know how important their actions, their words, um, they know how important that can be within our community as well. So Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's definitely kind of a reciprocal process where, you know, I'm there to try to help support them and give them energy, but vice versa, I get energized by them as well. So um, love it for sure. Absolutely. So it is, it is challenging to be a grant program, especially now in an age where government spending is heavily scrutinized. Uh, how are you and your, the SSS staff at OU, uh, how are you practicing accountability or even looking at how you're spending or what you're spending on uh, to really be an effective program? So basically here at OU, um, we're actually 100% university funded now. Oh, wow, um, really? We, we actually lost our trio funding, um, basically not this most recent time, but the, but the cycle before that. Um, uh -huh. uh, kind of a long story with that, but with that being said, um, you know, we're extremely fortunate because the university saw the value that we brought to the, the students, brought to campus, and so, you know, we're still here. We're still 100% university funded. Um, still going about things 100% like a trio program. So we still have the same oh, wow. focus, provide the same energy, the same services. Um, but yes, so with, with budgets being especially tight now, they've been tight for a while, but especially tight now, um, I think that accountability is, is super important. Um, pretty much everywhere. So the way that we manage resources, the way that we hold ourselves accountable um, is definitely vital. Um, again, I think the university entrusts that we're gonna be able to manage these resources um, in an efficient and effective manner. And so, you know, we've been focusing as hard as we can to do that and um, produce those results to, to really prove that, hey, you know, this is money well spent because this is an investment not in not just in our program but through our program it's an investment into these students it's an investment into our community um this pays forward like 100 percent. absolutely and another part i know my next question says grants but i'm going to change the question up a little bit it's, i'm going to say so it's also challenging for university programs uh to not only just receive funding and be fully funded and, and again congratulations that your trio program is now fully funded by the university but also these programs and, and departments and, and other um, uh, degrees and programs are also expected to produce results. So what is expected out of OU, uh, this student support services or project threshold? What, what's expected or, or what's the expectation? Yeah, so um, we have some tremendous support, you know, across campus from administration. Um, we work really closely, you know, with lots of different uh, programs, departments, what have you across campus. Um, and so what's expected is that we're gonna be there for these students that, that fit the criteria and you know, whatever that resource that we need to be for that particular student, like we're gonna help them figure out how to perform miracles. Like um, they may be faced with daunting challenges, you know, whether it's finance or whether personal situations, um, you know, whatever the case may be, we're there to help make sure that they are successful in their quest to get this degree. And so um, I know as a whole, the university really looks towards our program as a, as a big part of the retention efforts overall. Um, but quite often, we're one of the few programs, you know, 
TRIO students are often among the most marginalized of all students on campus. And so quite often we're some of the few like office spaces where some of these students feel safe. And so I, I definitely think, you know, those are some of the things that are expected out of us. And those are some of the things we try our best to excel at. Absolutely. That's awesome. Uh, TRIO overall is just a widely supported program across the nation. What do you think is the it factor for TRIO programs? And why do you, why do you think students enjoy these programs? That is a great question as well. Um, to be honest, I think it might, it, it kind of goes back to the results. Um, TRIO programs have been proven successful and effective, you know, for decades. Um, and I think for current students, quite often, you know, maybe they've heard from an older sibling or, you know, somebody else from their high school or, you know, whatever the case might be, they, they've heard that, wow, hey, this person was facing all these challenges. They got in this program, this program helped them succeed. And now they have their college degree. They've got this awesome career. They're doing these things in the community. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest things um, that, that really makes it popular for students. But the second thing that I would say is simply the relationships um, with TRIO programs. And we're all a little different because we have the flexibility to really adapt to what fits best within our campus, but also within our communities. And in doing so, that allows us to really design every single thing that we do to help build that relationship, um, relationship with the student face-to-face, -face, but also relationship often with families, um, with members of the community. Um, and so I think, I think students see that we not only talk the talk, but we walk the walk. We're there with them. We care about them. Um, we care about their success. And I think, I think those things are, are very telling, honestly. Absolutely. What's the difference between a TRIO advisor, you, and a university advisor? That's a really good question as well. And I think one of the main differences is just the simple fact that um, as, as kind of a TRIO advisor, we're built, we're designed to be holistic um, in nature, holistic in our support. So yes, we can focus, we work with our students on academic related issues. Like I mentioned earlier about, you know, helping a student plan for their degree program. Um, we also help students, okay, they need to research what are their career options? What are the things that they're passionate about? But we also help with their financial aid issues. Um, we write tons of letters of recommendation for scholarships, for um, internships. Um, we, you know, whatever it is that that student is facing, we're here to kind of walk with them until they're able to find those solutions or get that support they need. Um, and so I think that's how we fit into the larger university structure. Um, we're not here to, you know, supplant anything that's already happening, but we're here to really kind of, you know, make everything work well. So we've got those great relationships with other advising offices. Um, we've got an amazing relationship with like Student Live here on campus. We've got, you know, super strong support from Student Live, great connections with them. Um, same with uh, the financial aid office, things like that. We're kind of that centralized office that does a little bit of everything. Um, but the biggest thing we do is communicate, you know, advocate um, on behalf of our students amongst those other offices. Yeah, that's awesome. It seems like you're like a one-stop shop for holistic student support. That's the perfect way of saying it. Yeah, yeah, that's, what, that's definitely our goal, to kind of be that one-stop shop. 
That's awesome. Um, what inspired you, Scott, to be in this field where, in education? Because I know you, you studied to be uh, in elementary education, but uh, you, you started working for Talent Search and then into uh, Student Support Services. So what's the inspiration behind uh, working with TRIO? Very cool. Um, so yeah, so in essence, um, I, I wasn't aware of TRIO programs when I was you know, getting my education. Um, was not quite sure what that was and lo and behold um when i when i got my bat or when i got my master's degree actually shortly after that i was hired by talent search and so that kind of opened my eyes to the world of trio um but previous to that i knew that i wanted to do something where i could i could work with students um where i could make a positive impact um i wasn't 100 percent sure what that was going to look like um lo and behold once once I got into TRIO, um, I knew that was it. Like, this is the place for me. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, worked originally for the first 10 years. Um, well, actually, for the first eight years, worked with high school and middle school students. Loved it. Um, learned so much. Had some great students I got to work with. Built some great relationships with, with different schools. Um, and then transitioned to working with, with college students for two years at OSU and then the last seven here at OU. Um, love that, would not trade it for the world. Um, and so that kind of opened my eyes. Um, and when I first got started in TRIO, I remember the very first state conference that I went to. Um, and one of my, one of the people who turned into one of my biggest professional mentors um, told me right off the bat, they were, um, Chris Simpson, you probably remember her. Oh um, yeah, I do remember Chris, yeah. Off that board. Um, yeah, she said, if you stay in TRIO, you know, for at least a couple years, you're probably going to be here for life. And yeah. it was like, oh my gosh, she is correct. <laughs> this is where I want to be. That's so, amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, that, that's kind of how that worked out, honestly. That's awesome. As a resource for students, um, and kind of go over a little bit, I know I think we, we covered a little bit about what you already do, but you individually... As a, a, a as project threshold and an advisor, what services do you provide specifically to students? So our office, one of the biggest things that we do is we provide that one-on-one, um, -on -one, like advising with students. So obviously before COVID, um, that meant a lot of one-on-one -on -one time in the office. Um, we have the freedom of meeting with our students as often as they need to. You know, some, some offices on, on campus have so many students they work with. They're amazing at what they do, but they're only allowed, you know, X number of minutes with each student before they have to be on to the next one. But that's where our program is really, really fortunate because we have more flexibility. So that one-on-one -on -one time is the most important. Um, nowadays, most of that one-on-one -on -one time is through Zoom for the moment, just for safety reasons. But again, we can focus on anything from academic related issues. We can help, you know, work on, you know, any personal obstacles they may be facing. Um, if a student just needs to vent, if a student, you know, just needs somebody to be there to support them, um, you know, it's that one-on-one -on -one time that really helps build those relationships. Um, the second thing our office does is we do provide tutoring for our students. Um, so we have usually anywhere from about four or five tutors that are hired each semester. Um, and they're going to cover, you know, most of the math, science courses, some social science, business classes, engineering, um, different classes like that. So tutoring is another thing. And then the last thing that's not a thing right now because of COVID, but 
um, just our physical space here on campus. This was a space for our students to come and hang out in between classes. Um, we have like a small kitchenette where a lot of our commuter students would bring their lunches in every day, kind of heat it up, sit down, do some homework while they're, you know, in between classes or whatever. Um, and for some students, it was just that safe space. Like if they're having a rough day, maybe they don't want to talk about things, but they just want to see smiling faces. And so that physical space was another kind of um, important part of our program that hopefully we can kind of get back to that soon, um, as soon as it's safe to do so. Absolutely. So uh, after talking about your work and talking about uh, your path, what has been the most challenging aspect of your job, Scott? At the moment, I would, I would definitely say it's, it's still kind of related to, you know, life in a pandemic. Um, trying to figure out how to maintain those, those positive relationships and make sure that all of our students are being served um, in a way that they need when they need it. Um, you know, doing it from a distance has been challenging. Um, and so I would say that's the biggest thing is trying to figure out, you know, what are the best ways that I can stay in contact um, what, are the, what are the best ways that I can make sure students know that, hey, I'm still here. Um, even if you can't physically come see me right now, um, you can still get a hold of me. This is what we can still do. And so just trying to, you know, switch that focus from the things that we can't do to the things, okay, well, what can we do? Let's figure out a new way to solve this problem. Um, the old ways are not always um, available right now but we can't let that be the end of the road. Like, okay, well, what's a new way that we can still do this? Um, so that's kind of been the focus. Yeah. On the flip side, what has been the most rewarding part of your job? Um, I would say, again, going back to the students, just seeing them succeed and, you know, being able to start creating that relationship with them from, you know, the first day they set foot on campus quite often um, up through graduation. Um, so we know what they've gone through. We know the obstacles they've faced. We know the things that they've persevered to keep fighting through. And so when you see them walk across that stage, whether it's virtual now or whatever, when you get to right. see that diploma <laughs> right. in their hands, um, you see how, you know, just, just the way that the faces of their family members just shine, just like they are so mm -hmm. proud. Like mm -hmm. those are the best things. Um, and again, I think I'm going to go back to relationships. I'm um, just building those lifelong relationships. Um, it's that's one of the coolest things about trio programs. When a student graduates, that doesn't mean that's the end of your time working with them because you've already created this really strong relationship. And it's just really cool having students kind of reach back out, life update, or hey, could, you know, I could use a little advice about this, or just checking in, hey, how's how was everything at OU? Um, so just having that opportunity um, to create that lifelong relationship um, of just, again, realistic positivity. Um, you know, we're here for each other. We're, we're a trio family. Um, and we say that a lot in our office. Like this is, this is trio family. This is threshold family. Yeah. Um, That's amazing. I like how you all have set up that uh, community and the, the camaraderie there. So that, that, that's amazing to see. Uh, and you definitely, when you recruit students into your program, you must see a lot of a sto trio stories unfold. Are there any students that stand out to you either in the past or currently that you're serving? Whew. And this is, this is probably the hardest question because it's hard to narrow it down. 
um, literally every single semester, every single year, there are numerous students that, that stand out. Um, yeah, there's so many success stories. Just, um, again, kind of boils down to just the students that have the perseverance and the strength to kind of push through things that were gigantic obstacles at one point, and they were able to kind of keep doing what they needed to do to find that success. Um, yeah, I don't know. So again, you can kind of see the pictures around my office, the, you know, graduation photos, all of that. It's hard to single people out. Um, you know, some of, some of the recent graduates that I would say that are really making huge impacts now, um, I don't know. Do you, you want me to share some names? Do you want me to just like share some stories? It's up to you. I, if you if you want to do that, Scott, that's totally up to you. Well, very cool. Okay, so um, for any students who are listening, if I don't list your name, know that I still appreciate you. This is this is going to be tough to narrow some things down. But um, let's see. A few students that kind of that kind of stand out. Um, for example, Diana Prieto, um, she's one of the students, she graduated with her undergrad in, in three years, um, fighting through so many crazy things, yet she did it, and she almost to finish her master's degree. Um, she's amazing. Um, students like um, Daisy Munoz, for example, she, um, she got her undergraduate degree almost to wrap up her master's degree, and she's already doing some amazing things within the Oklahoma City community. Um, Kind of creating real change, um, the change that we need, like right now. Um, she's doing some great things. Um, students like um, Braylon Warrior, for example, um, another just outstanding student. He is currently in physical therapy program um, on his way to get his doctorate. Um, he ended up being a McNair Scholar prior to that. Um, just super amazing. Um, students like Angie Tran, Ali Pham, um, Let's see, uh, Karina Flores, Caroline Terubiartes, um, who else, Jenny Escobar, Luis Ambrosio, um, Paul Delgado, oh my gosh, I could go on and on and on and on. Um, there were some amazing students that I've had the good fortune of working with. And like I said, the cool thing is, you know, still getting to see them, still getting to message them, just checking in, see how life is going. Um, but yes, I promise you, we could do an entire episode just talking about. <laughs> we will need to do a part two. Stories. So, <laughs> yes, I love that. I love it. We might have to do a, a part two with Scott just to kind of expand on the multitude of lives you've impacted. And again, you just hearing the names of your students and and looking at all the lives that you've impacted. That only speaks to the power of not only the individuals you, Scott, but also the trio spirit that lives inside of you, right? That the, the ability to push students forward and, and empower them to find their voice and their, their purpose. I appreciate that. And, and yeah, and let me just say also those each, each and every one of those lives and, and the tons of students that I didn't mention, the impact they had on me and still have on me. Um, it definitely goes two ways. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. I would not trade this for the world. Amazing. Amazing. What is something you would like to share with your mentors from the past? What would you like to say to them? Well, and this is another one. I've been really, really fortunate um, when I think of mentors, you know, kind of looking into once I got on board with TRIO programs, for example, um, and professionally even, you know, sometimes that imposter syndrome still follows me as a professional. Um, it's still here saying, hey, 
know, nobody in your family does what you're doing right now, which means I'm not supposed to be doing it either. I need to be somewhere else. Um, but those mentors kind of step in and say, no, like you're really good at this. You have potential. Like these are the things you can do. Um, so people, you know, people like Al White, you know, we mentioned Chris Simpson, um, Barry Lofton, Deborah Binkley Jackson, um, you know, Jeff Calden, Randy Scott, um, Roland Salas. I mean, there's so many people that in some way or another, like they really had a positive impact on me. And so I would just, you know, tell them, thank you. Um, thank you for investing your time and energy into me, um, which in turn has kind of empowered me to try to do the best that I can to kind of follow in those footsteps. Um, so yeah, that's, there are so many people with this list as well. I'm leaving off Absolutely. a ton of folks. Um, I, I've been very fortunate. Um, this is definitely making me reflect back for sure. <laughs> right on. So Scott, we're going to take a quick two minute break and we'll be right back with more with Scott Katie, OU at Trio Student Support Services. Starting from three, two, one. We are back with Scott Katie, OU Trio Student Support Services slash Project Threshold. Scott, again, we appreciate you being on the podcast and sharing your journey and your career path, everything so far. Um, we were talking a little bit during the break about how this has been a reflective moment for you. And now we're going to kind of get into the reflective moments. Is there any part of your college journey or career that you would do differently? To be honest, um, I think the one thing that I would try to do differently is I would, I would identify imposter syndrome for what it is, and I would just punch it in the face. <laughs> I would <laughs> right. get the heck out of here. Um, yes. I yes. think that would be the biggest thing is, you know, as they say, you know, if I knew then what I know now, um, I think that's probably the biggest thing that would have been helpful if I could have identified those situations um, for what they were. Um, for example, it would have allowed me to really open up more freely and more openly with people, as I mentioned earlier, that could have been amazing mentors, but I had to keep myself, like I felt like I had to keep myself kind of closed off because I did not want anyone getting to know me too well because mm -hmm. of imposter syndrome. Um, so that would be the biggest thing that I would change. But, you know, in the end, I love where I'm at in life. Like I could not, I could not imagine, um, being able to work with any better students um, for any better program and so from that perspective it all led to a really great point and so I'm super grateful and super thankful for that. Absolutely. Talk to us about your past work experience. Did each job help shape your current path? Definitely and so if we're if we're pretty much talking about my my trio positions yes definitely each each position, each position kind of teaches you a little bit more about, you know, what, what are the best ways that I can, you know, be as efficient, as effective at my role? Like, what are the things like I can improve on? What are the skills I can improve on? Um, but I think one of the most valuable things is just simply 
being able to listen, like when you're crossing paths with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, you know, throughout your career, you get to, you get the benefit of, of seeing from their perspective and, you know, what is life like for them? Like, what have they experienced? Um, and I think those have probably been the most valuable um, things as far as like shaping who I am today. Just having the presence of mind to be able to just stop and just listen mm -hmm. um, and just learn like what, it, what do things look like through their, their eyes? Um, that would probably be my most valuable lesson that I've, I'm still learning, honestly. Yeah. What was the oddest job you've held and what did you learn from it? So the oddest job. So, so when I was in college, I would work like summers and I would work, you know, pretty much every break that I could um, working construction and um, doing like some carpentry things in, in Missouri. And so probably the oddest job that I had was there was one summer where we were um, like the biggest thing we were working on is, building these gigantic chicken houses kind of in southwest really? Missouri. Um, <laughs> uh -huh. Never in a million years thought that I would be doing that. But it just gave me such a deep respect for, you know, any any people who, you know, have, have that just talent for like building things, for constructing things, for, you know, putting things, you know, together like that. Um, people who, who are willing to put in that manual labor, um, you know, the people that, that keep everything running um, gave me such a deep respect for them. And it definitely taught me, you know, what the value of a hard day's work is. Um, when, you know, you, you've been working out in the sun like all day, um, you know, trying to, trying to get things to come together in the right way. And, you know, you get home at night and you're just so sore. You're not even sure if you're going to be able to go to sleep. Your muscles are aching, all of these things. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I need to stay in college. I don't think I'm tough enough <laughs> for this work. <laughs> so yes, those are some of the things I definitely learned. <laughs> I, I share a kindred spirit in that, uh, Scott. I think uh, working with my dad in construction made me realize I'm not a construction guy. And right. uh, I was like, my dad's recommendation for me to go to college st stands and I should go to college. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I concur 100%. <laughs> so you're now I'm going to put you uh, not only on the spot, but th these are the tougher questions now, Scott. You're a graduate of Oklahoma State University, but you're employed through University of Oklahoma. I've heard mm -hmm. the rivalry story. So how does it work when sports is, uh, sports are involved? <laughs> No, you're exactly right. There's, there's, it's a huge rivalry here. Um, and it is funny. So, you know, obviously I work for the University of Oklahoma right now. And sometimes I'll be working with a current student who will be, you know, talking one-on-one in my, my office. And something will come up where they'll ask, okay, where did you get your degree from? And um, things like that. And I always have to say, okay, <laughs> before I tell you, don't be mad at me, um, but I got my degree from OSU. <laughs> so... Um, Yes, it's, it's definitely a rivalry, mostly all in fun. Um, sure, when it comes yes. to sports, like growing up, my, my granddad was a big influence on me, and he, he really kind of instilled my love of sports. And so he was, even though, you know, he didn't get a degree from OSU, but he's been a lifelong uh, OSU Cowboys fan, you know, while, mm, while he was still yeah. with us. Um, and so he kind of instilled that in me. So it's hard not to root for the Cowboys um, yeah. these days. But I'll kind of summarize the rivalry, I guess, with this story. So, when, so okay, so basically got my degrees at OSU, worked at OSU immediately after that for like 10 years. And then when I was telling my family that, hey, um, I'm going to take a job at OU, 
Um, and so my family who just, you know, all their clothing is orange and black for the, for the OSU Cowboys. And so my, my grandma like turns to my brother and is like, wow, well, what do you think about your brother going to OU? And, and my brother just without missing a beat was like, what brother? <laughs> so, <laughs> nah, the rivalry is real. Yes, that's just an example of the rivalry right there. <laughs> I, understandable. So I'm from, a, 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 as you know, uh, I graduated from Eastern New Mexico University. It's a very small division two school. And oh, our rival was WT uh, A&M, uh, and mm. the, 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 you know, small rivalry. But when I came out to Colorado State, uh, I didn't understand the rivalry between Wyoming and CSU. Uh, and then when, uh. I, when I started uh, working at CSU, I really saw the rivalry kind of full blown, like, oh my gosh, this is a real rival. <laughs> and, and not only that, but we somehow also became extreme rivals with, uh, with Boulder, with uh, CU. So I see wow. that rivalry play and I'm like, wow, I wonder how it is for professionals that graduate from uh, CU or from Wyoming and end up working at CSU or people right. from CSU working at rival institutions. So it's just funny to see that play that out. It is interesting, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm over here with my ENMU degree going, you know what? I'm just going to be supportive of my institution no matter what, but... <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's the safest answer. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, what's, what's some advice that you would share with a TRIO participant, either pre-college or currently in college? Um, so I think kind of reflecting back on, on some of the things that I've shared, um, when, when you notice that imposter syndrome kicking in, recognize it for what it is right off the bat. Um, realize that you do belong here. Um, you do have what it takes to be successful here. Um, don't, don't let imposter syndrome tell you otherwise. And I think one of the best things you can do is, is don't be afraid to ask for help. There's so many systems of support, um, programs, offices um, here that are for student success. And so don't be afraid to get plugged in with those early and often. Um, and, and, you know, for, for a lot of students as well, if, if you don't feel like you necessarily fit in, um, take the time to kind of find those spaces where you do feel safe, you feel empowered, you feel, hey, these people truly care about me. Because if you can find those safe spaces, then we can help you get through whatever it is you may be facing. And you don't have to do it by yourself. Um, I promise you, we are here. Um, we will do everything within our power to help you fight through whatever it is you're facing. Um, I love that. Uh, and very much in the spirit of your helpfulness, uh, Scott, and in the spirit of TRIO. I like that. That's very good messaging. Thank you. Yeah. What would you like to t say to TRIO staff members who are listening to the podcast? Um. I would probably, again, just say, keep doing what you're doing. Um, you know, things are very strange right now. Things are, are very difficult at times right now. Um, so be sure that you're able to take care of yourself sometimes. Make sure that you can recharge, keep yourself as refreshed as possible. Um, find your support systems. Sometimes as professionals, we don't do that. We help everyone else. We forget to do what's right for ourselves. Um, so do what you can to take care of yourself because you are needed. Um, we appreciate you, but we also need you. Um, and the work that you do, do does matter. Um, so honestly, again, thank you. Um, yeah, keep, keep doing what you do. Keep fighting those fights. 
I love that message as well, Scott. So before I get into this next question, I will tell you, so I recently had to go into our statistics for our podcast. And typically we have a very large US-based audience and our US audience is huge. It's about 300 to 400 people listening. I recently found out we also have an international audience uh, let me let me just Very kind of cool. give you give you a brief of the countries that listen. So, Australia, Mexico, Bolivia, Japan, <laughs> India, France, Italy, Peru, uh, Chile, and Spain listening to the podcast. Um, I love it. I want you to give us any words of wisdom for non-trio and non-trio related listeners. What would you like to say to them? Very cool. So, basically, what I would say is, you know, wherever you are um live a life of love um that's how we're going to make a difference that's how we're going to move forward um one of the best ways we do that as well is make it a point to keep learning and growing every single day i know you know sometimes sometimes we don't like to do that because it can be a little uncomfortable because it implies that we're not perfect at everything and we don't like to admit that but newsflash, none of us are perfect, which means we need to continue learning, continue growing. And so make that a part of who you are. Um, I truly believe the day that we stop growing is the day that we start dying. Um, because humans were built, we need to continue growing. We need to continue being better tomorrow than we are today. And so definitely kind of make that a part of your daily um, routine for sure. Um, and what it takes to do that, I think we have to learn how to listen. Um, we also have to learn that sometimes it's vital that we unlearn. Um, sometimes before we can learn and grow into something new, we have to unlearn bad habits or unlearn things that we've, we've been taught or we've been told that, you know, later we realize, wow, that's harmful. I did not realize I was, I was doing that. Um, so be okay with unlearning before you can learn. Um, and then lastly, recognize what privileges you may have. Um, learn to leverage those privileges in ways that are uplifting, that are healing, um, that are empowering to others. Um, I think those, those would be the main things that I would kind of pass on as well. Right on. Scott, wonderful words of wisdom. And we appreciate you so much for being on the podcast. It was an honor to have you on and talk about your journey in education and talk about higher education and the sports rivalries and how you deal with that at your workplace. So we appreciate right. you so much uh, again for being on the podcast. Uh, thank you. I, it, it's absolutely a pleasure. Um, I, I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Can you do us the honor in signing off for us? No problem. Yes. Hi, this is Scott Cady. I'm a proud advisor for Project Threshold at the University of Oklahoma, and I'm proud to say that TRIO works. Scott, thank you so much for being on the podcast, and thank you for such a wonderful sign-off. We appreciate you. Thank you. No problem. I appreciate you as well. Thank you. Are you a participant, alum, or staff of a TRIO program? Do you want your program highlighted? You or your program could be featured in an upcoming episode of Let's Talk Trio. Get a hold of us by going to our Facebook page or Instagram and send us a direct message. Search for Let's Talk Trio. We want to get your story to the public. What a great interview with Scott Cady from the University of Oklahoma Project Threshold. Scott, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We appreciate all the work that you do. And thank you for continuing to be a great example of, trio, of a trio professional.
and for forming a strong trio community. Remember, you too can be on the podcast. Email us at letstalktrio at gmail.com. So you can email us at L-E-T-S-T-A-L-K-T-R-I-O at gmail.com. Or you can go to our social media sites. We do have a Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Send us a direct message and let us know that you're interested in being interviewed for the podcast. You can also sponsor the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can sponsor the podcast via Patreon. If you are a company and would like to place an ad on our podcast, head on over to Patreon, scroll all the way to the bottom, and you'll see a corporate sponsor section. There you can sponsor us for $100 a month, and you can place an ad for a minute and 30 seconds, and we'll weave it in into the podcast. I want to say a quick thank you to our podcast team. Amelia Castañeda, marketing manager, social media manager, and producer. John Russell, editor, audio engineer, and music producer. Juan Rivas, executive producer and host. Honorary members of Let's Talk Trio include Roderick Chambers, Scott Kendall, and Tony Ho. We thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for continuing to support the podcast, and we will catch you on the next episode.